0: Welcome to the Live Explorer podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Build Better podcast brought to you by Live Explorer. I'm Sean Payne, your co host. I'm your other co host, Isaiah Chass. And we have another great podcast for you today. Uh, We have Cal Weeks of Generation Housing On. Cal, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Cal. It's an absolute pleasure. Very excited to be here.
0: So, uh, you uh, uh, are pretty much the authority on housing in this area, I would say. Like, if if I have a question regarding housing policy or something of that nature, um, I would generally come to you. I mean, you you, uh, is that – I know you don't want to, like, your – I would say – you're uh, uh, very reserved that way, but I mean, wouldn't you say that, uh, that that's kind of your passion in your life and what you do, right?
1: It is my bread and butter, but I do like to often joke that <laughs> ostensibly uh, I'm an expert. But, you know, even I have to look things up here and there and, you know, I don't have the answers to everything. But I do spend a majority of my life focused on housing and constantly told by my friends, my girlfriend, my family, like, shut up. Stop talking about housing. Stop talking about planning. Like, we, there are other things in life, but I'm
2: like, yeah, but this is this is what I care about. Right. What got you involved with this? I've never asked you that
1: before. And it's here. actually funny, though. You know, I used to work for a summer member, Mark Levine, back in the day. Uh, he's uh, no longer with the legislator. But when I was working with him, I, did, I didn't really cover housing issues, but I did talk quite a bit about it with my, my former colleague, Janelle, and we had a lot of really great conversations. And then, you know, I came back after my master's program in D.C., and I... Was working briefly, you know, at the airport, just waiting, biding my time to find the right position. And so I was doing marketing there, which was actually a, uh, quite a bit of fun. Uh, our, we have a great little airport here. And uh, shout out to the, you know, to the Charles Schultz uh, airport. But uh, I, yeah, I was uh, actually sought out by Jen, my boss, uh, after my uh, predecessor and friend, Jesus Guzman, uh, Got another job that he was really excited about working for Zone Healdsburg and uh, they approached me and we had a really great conversation and the rest is history and I became the policy director there. Cool, very cool.
0: So uh, can you describe the mission and vision of Generation Housing uh, and how it uh, addresses affordable housing in Sonoma
1: County? Yeah, so the the fire you know of 2017, I'm sure many of us and a lot of our listeners here uh, uh, probably remember quite well. Uh, it's you know Pretty, uh, pretty vividly imprinted on all our brains but we already had a housing crisis then we we're already twenty thousand something odd units you know behind uh, that was actually made that comment was made publicly by by supervisor james gore at one point i think it was in 2018 he was like we're gonna build thirty thousand units in five years well we haven't done that but we appreciate supervisor gore for his optimism and willingness to to move the needle forward and he's, he's certainly been an excellent advocate on that front but the, the long and short of it is, you know, despite a lot of policy advancements that we've made, there are still a lot of roadblocks that exist, and that's, you know, clear in, in a lot of things that are happening here in Petaluma, but also throughout Sonoma County and, and really the regional and state level. And so, you know, a bunch of folks, cross-sector leaders here, uh, including our, our very own uh, uh, Petaluma-based Elise Hempel, uh, you know, came together around, you know, a round table and they you know, there are folks from healthcare, education, environment, uh, the business community, and they all agreed that a housing organization or an advocacy organization was absolutely necessary on a countywide basis to, to really start driving momentum around, you know, kind of a pro housing movement. And so enter, you know, uh, Generation Housing. And, and Jen was originally a part of this roundtable, but when they started talking about the executive director role, she stepped away because she was like, you know what? Like, I'm really loving this conversation. I might want to do this, and so then Jen, Jen uh, ultimately was selected. I, I think there was some candidate. I don't know the full story, but now she's our our, our de facto leader uh-huh. as we move on this this pro housing, uh, this pro housing mission. But yeah, our vision is you know simply to you know we're trying to envision vibrant communities where everyone has a place to to call home and can uh, you know contribute to an equitable, healthy, and, and resilient North Bay. And and I, I'd like to think a lot of things that we've been working on have helped achieve that. And you know there's uh, you know, a lot of folks ask, you know, why we engage on certain things. Well, we engage on a lot of things based on our guiding principles, which are f- essentially structured under six umbrellas. So you have people, place, housing options, sustainability, impact, and collaboration. I don't need to tell you what all of those necessarily sure. mean right here unless you really want to hear them. It's on our website. Right. Uh, but that's how we determine most of our decision making. Um, But also guided by, you know, the policy advisory committee, which is also made up of a lot of cross-sector leaders uh, Uh that uh, advises me. I I make the final decision as as staff, uh, but they help support some of the policy decisions that we make at Generation Housing. And then, yeah, the rest is guided by these principles. Well, Sean and I
2: oftentimes refer to uh, a lot that you and Generation Housing do, specifically a lot of the reports. We won't get into the reports specifically, but... um, on a general basis, can you talk a little about the housing needs, affordable housing needs in, mm-hmm. in Sonoma County? And obviously it's, it's a need across California, but specifically Sonoma County, there's mm-hmm. a huge need for housing.
1: Yeah, well first I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to my colleagues Josh and Max. Uh, they are the brains and, and the brawn around our recent reports, and, and I'm very grateful to have them on our team. Uh, Max is our our our, our data wonk. And has, I mean, this guy could be working at Apple right now if you really wanted to, but thank God he's mission driven. Uh, and when he hears this, it probably will uh, balloon his ego a little bit. But he, he's amazing, and, and so is Josh. And so uh, the report that we put out recently, the Making the Rent report, was a particularly, I think, impactful report because what we, we already knew people were cost burden. It's not new news to anyone. We all know it, everyone's struggling. But what it did do was put numbers behind it, and it's pretty bad. The report is not a rosy report. It's it's unfortunate how bad the situation has gotten. The level of overcrowding that we've you know demonstrated through a lot of our data and research is also particularly uh, bad. Uh, the the ratio of low income jobs to affordable units is terrible in several of our jurisdictions. Sebastopol, it's, it's I think there's one one affordable unit for every five low income jobs the same for the city of sonoma right wow that's bad mm-hmm. that means people are commuting which means they're adding to vehicle miles traveled you know further exacerbating our climate issues and that's exactly ostensibly what sonoma county is trying to combat everything every jurisdiction has a platform based in you know climate you know uh, uh climate responsiveness and yet we're not addressing the core Issue of letting people live where they work. Um, anyways, like I kind of departed from the
0: no, that's really The, good.
1: the core thread there, which was yeah, and these these reports, you know, we're we're finding that you know a substantial portion of of folks out in Sonoma County are actually severely cost cost burdened. So that's fifty percent or more of their you know monthly rent is going towards just paying for their home, whether it's uh, a home that they own or that they rent, either way, it's bad. You should be paying 50% of your income towards, you know, your mortgage or your rent. That's that's ludicrous. Right, right, right. So, and it was really interesting because this wasn't planned, but we went down this rabbit hole of, of looking at uh, the impacts, particularly on queer populations. Uh, this kind of just came out of nowhere because we started noticing this because we were uh, analyzing everything. Mm-hmm. And we started seeing this, these really interesting and disturbing data points coming out of folks that identify as queer uh, because this, this report was survey driven. Uh, we ran this survey in the community. And so all of a sudden, because census data, for those that don't know, census data only is male, female, et cetera, like really base level stuff. Wow. They don't acknowledge anything else, unfortunately, not yet. We haven't gotten, we haven't progressed enough as a country to, to really analyze all of that. But we we did do that, and and the queer population in Sonoma County is is struggling, uh, at least according to the data that we collected in the report, you know, that we generated. So there's a lot of interesting nuggets in there. I, I encourage anyone and everyone to to read our uh, our kind of main facts that we we include at the top of every report because we want to make it easy. So there's key findings right at the top. Sure. And yeah, there's just 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 to dive into that a little bit. I
0: mean, was that. Did, I'm, I'm assuming discrimination-based or, or I mean, what was, why?
1: Yeah, so people did make comments that, you know, sometimes it was fine, it was hard to find a, a rental property because they were fairly certain it was discrimination. Okay. Because, uh, unfortunately, people still have an issue with, you know, folks that are transgender, gay, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, along the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Don't have to dive into the politics of right, that, right, but right, right. It, it is the reality there are some some discriminatory discriminatory practices that even though it's illegal, don't always get reported. Right, and so it, it's problematic, and that was one of the, the the bigger issues. Some people did note that they actually uh, became you know temporarily homeless because their their family was no longer willing to to, to support them because of their choices, which is obviously devastating thing to read. And, and some of the comments that people submitted were actually a uh, uh, real tearjerkers. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was rough. Uh, there's a lot of people that are experiencing pretty god awful things here. It's not just everyone's not living this hunky dory, beautiful Sonoma County life. There is real problems, real struggles, and they're d- not always being addressed as as aggressively and robustly and holistically as they should be. Unfortunately.
0: No. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important. Uh... <laughs> message to get out there i feel like so much of the population especially i'm going to say the older population is disconnected from those from those talks I and mean, we like we show up to city council meetings and we see it, things like that but uh you know like the i really encourage people to go to i don't know when your next uh, housing symposium is but mm-hmm. but we we attended one gosh i don't know, remember eight months ago or something like that now and uh, you know you hear some of those stories like that and and then you come back and i mean i've had Conversations with like some elementary school teachers who I value so much and I just just think so highly of them, and they're so against housing and it's like what what I don't understand it's like how does the next generation of you like you you're eliminating the next generation of you from like like teaching the next generation of me Mm -hmm. and I just hope that people realize that like this is a real issue and that that you know like. I see so many people that will constantly show up to meetings to stop progression. Please go to one of Generation Housings. Go to their website. Go to one of their symposiums. Like, this isn't made up. Like, go go listen to these stories because they're real. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, like, maybe your perspective would ch- would change about, like, oh, I'm concerned about building heights or whatever this is when you actually hear these real human stories. And they're real. They're like the the teachers and and the healthcare providers of of these generations. So sorry for that tangent, but but, uh, anyway. Well, I was going to
1: pull up real quick if I can find it. So some of the major findings, for example, like uh, we – yeah, it's things related to housing burden, you know, of time we live in the same home, cost burden contributes to unsafe and un, uh, overcrowded conditions. And there's a bunch of information, data points tied to it. Uh, nearly 80% of all respondents experience stress about household finances, at least some of the year. Toxic stress is one of the leading health issues that often is an indicator for, for many bad things that follow. Um, I mean, if it's toxic stress at an earlier, younger age, that can lead to someone getting off, you know, a track towards college, et cetera, whatever. Uh, uh, career technical or whatever job or, or kind of just normal trajectory that people might take that it often leads, you know, or creates a pipeline to, to the prison system. Mm-hmm. These things matter. And, right. and and addressing toxic stress is, is more important uh, now more than ever with, with so many converging issues and things kind of arising in, in not only the country, but the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, we heard stories about... Uh, uh, uh,
2: I don't want to mess up the story, but I believe there's one teacher that uh, grew up here and, and was working paycheck to paycheck, and then she ended up having to move to, I think, I want to say Texas mm-hmm. uh, because she couldn't afford it. And then, then you have uh, parents concerned that there is, well, there is a teacher shortage, but then there's you know uh, parents concerned that their kids don't have uh, sufficient education, and what's, what's it all coming back to is that they don't have a place to live here.
1: It's you know. not just teacher. It's doctors, too, actually. One of the biggest crises that is, is right on the horizon for Sonoma County that not a lot of people talk about. But if you ask a lot of our leadership and, and anyone who really knows the community well, they'll, they'll all tell you the same thing. Uh, the pipeline of, of new doctors coming to Sonoma County that are under the age of 50 is extremely low. Right, right. We are on the verge of actually having a, a major shortage of doctors, which obviously will limit care. And care is already pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be real now. Uh, And so it's only going to get worse because even doctors are like, well, why would I live here? I mean, it's nice and all, but I could also live in Texas, make a comparable salary and have a mansion. Right. Yeah. Who wouldn't make that choice? Mm -hmm. Then they can always just visit Sonoma County and go to one of our fine Airbnbs.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Second homes that, you know, people are obviously not too happy about. But this is this is what happens. Yeah. And it's all it all ties back to one single issue and that is the lack in, of not only affordable affordable housing but, but a diverse number of unit types right that can allow for example someone like myself to buy a condominium because there's 90% of our, our housing stock is is still predominantly single-family detached which is poor planning uh, we can't support or afford the the infrastructure because uh, once the developer builds it we pay for it right and if there's not enough sales tax or just taxes generally feeding our general fund we can't pay for those things or, or it, I mean like it's just it, now
0: land has become so expensive the cost of building has become so expensive that really you know it's, it's a Ponzi scheme cities are a Ponzi scheme in the past right and it's been like okay it's, it's okay it's a Ponzi scheme because it's in the it's in the you know the spirit of like developing a city but like you put in one housing project knowing that in 25 years you're going to have to fix that infrastructure there's no money there the city knows and the only way they could do it is build more housing farther away from, from downtown and now we're finally at a point where like everything's become so expensive that's no longer gonna work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so like now we're gonna have to, we have to figure out how we're gonna solve this problem and infill housing, things of that nature, zoning changes, going away from single family ho- home uh, zoning to mixed use. I mean, uh, hopefully that's a step in the right direction that way.
1: Well, so. And uh, shout out to Roner Park, because they actually have the most diverse housing stock in all of Sonoma County by a wide margin. I mean, they blow every other jurisdiction out of the water. Uh, it's because I think everyone knows this, there's a lot of uh, their various sections out there that are predominantly condominiums. Right. And there's for sale, there's rent, uh, rental units. Uh, they're building a bunch of new uh, sections out there. Some of is starting to go up. Yep. And then they've got their downtown project in the pipeline. Roner Park has been on the move uh, and they're, they're doing a lot of good things. The, the biggest thing that I fear now, and, and this ties into our conversation, I know it doesn't... We've gone way off that initial question. Sorry, but no the the one thing that we're trying to figure out, and we're going to work with some banks uh, to get this data to you know kind of corroborate our our suspicion. But you know, it's it's at this point we're we're pretty sure it's true. But the pipeline of new projects coming in is coming to a full stop. Uh, we've heard anecdotally from you know banks, uh, you know, and folks that are working specifically on loans, mortgages that you know previously they were fielding you know dozens of applications during their their you know weekly meetings and now they're doing biweekly meetings because it's a quarter of what it normally is and it's just it's coming to a you know to a trickle and so we know that less less development is happening and given that it takes you know at least 3 to 4 years to get anything through the process and built generally in in Sonoma County that doesn't bode well. I mean, everything we're seeing right now, and I keep telling people this, is stuff that's been in the pipeline for a long time. Right. This is not something that was just decided on yesterday, and they're developing it now. No, there's not much following what's being built now. And so what we're trying to do at Generation Housing is create policies that even in uncertain and terrible market conditions allows us to keep moving forward, even if it's at a slightly slower pace, at least keep moving forward some projects so that housing doesn't come to a full stop because you look at the ebbs and flows, like it goes up and down, up and down, you know, with the market, we're trying to stop that or at least mitigate it to some extent. So yeah.
0: can we can we uh, jump into that a little bit? What would be some of the policy changes that that you would see to recommend addressing that and streamlining that process? Can, can you go into that? I mean, Great I know,
1: transition into it, our, our it, new North Bay Next Neighborhoods Initiative. Okay. Uh, we're rebranding it. It used to be North Bay Next, but we accidentally didn't know that Another organization uses that for an event they host. So we're gonna call it North Bay Next Neighborhoods, our bad. Uh, <laughs> probably should have Googled that. Anyways, so yeah, North Bay it. Next Neighborhoods initiative is, is based on, on five pillars. So, uh, or five action steps that we're asking our jurisdictions to complete and hopefully before the end of 2024, if they can. Uh, we don't necessarily expect 100% compliance or responsiveness to it, but if we can get even 70%, that'd be great. Anyway, so first and foremost, we're asking them if they have a design review body, which some jurisdictions do, you not know, like Windsor, Cotati, they don't have a design, like design or separate design review body. Mm-hmm. It's just all baked in the Planning Commission. If they had that, fold it into one single, uh, one single review body. So for the, in the case of the city of Santa Rosa, fold design review uh, entirely into the Planning Commission. Uh, and there's a variety of ways you can go about that to also ensure there's still design review experts on the Planning Commission and it's not just people that are, you know, maybe trying to become elected because Planning Commission, let's be honest, is a study stone not f- city council. We've noticed that. It's it, yeah, it, it, weird. It didn't used to be like <laughs> that, but it's, it's kind of a newer phenomenon and it's, it's unfortunate because that's not what it's about right, and it's right. not what it should be about, but this is just how it is. You have to build up legitimacy before you can run. So uh, the other thing we're asking cities to do, and, and this is real high level, like yeah, we have white papers for four out of five of the, of the action steps. They're all on our, so we had two websites, generationhousing.org and we have wearegenh.org. Wearegenh.org is kind of like our advocacy. Like that's where we send people, if you want to get activated and like really start diving into this, like go there. It's, it's confusing. I know. Okay. It's just how we had to do things. Sure. Uh, and then GenerationHousing.org is just our primary website and and you can link to, there's links for that. And uh, we Org has links on GenerationHousing.org's website and vice versa. Anyways, uh, we're asking jurisdictions to drop their impact fees for three years. Uh, shout out to Petaluma. They already dropped impact fees or pretty much all of them for affordable housing, mm-hmm. uh, multifamily projects, which like, good job. You guys are trailblazers. Love it. Um, and we're hoping that'll be a catalyst to convince other jurisdictions to do the same. So we're asking the drop impact fees for three years. Uh, there's Sacramento, uh, Sacramento actually did this a while back. And I think uh, something like five times the volume of affordable housing, like permits started rolling in as soon as they did that. So really? we know it works. Okay. We well, know the it margins works. margins on
2: affordable housing are so low to start with yeah. that, I mean, anything can help make it pencil. Yes. Yeah,
1: the tax credit system is insane. Mm-hmm. It is, really messed up. And unfortunately, Congress doesn't get along, so we're not going to change it anytime soon. But it's a terribly designed system. Any affordable housing developer will tell you that. So anyways, that that's one of the ones we're working on. Uh, another one we're working on is is parking minimums eliminated throughout the city. We don't necessarily expect every jurisdiction to do that. But for those that can, we would love to see them do it. Mm-hmm. and then maybe implement other par- like policies like uh, shared parking agreements, uh, uh, some sort of uh, mobile parking app. So if you're not using your second parking space in your development, rented out to someone that might need that parking space. So there's a lot of really innovative, cool things we can do. That, that's the whole point of it. That's,
0: there's innovative, cool things that can be done to address parking. And, and like, yeah. uh, you know, we've had enough developers on here that like, you know, most developers don't want to eliminate all parking just because it'll be harder to rent or sell those units. It sounds like 0.8 parking spaces is some somewhere like around the, the isn't that the yeah. number we've heard? Like, uh, yeah, I, 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 obviously it, the, yeah, the sweet spot is like 0.8. So just a, a little bit less than one parking yeah. unit. But, again, like, there's ways that, like, like, okay, if you have a car, I think there's an innovative way to, like, use your neighbors if they don't have one and things of that nature. So, like, like it's just kind of, like, reevaluating this, this, this problem. Like, like uh, it's, it's not, like, just totally eliminating parking altogether that way. And I, I think yeah. people hear that, you know, then they, they automatically assume that. It's, it's really what we're doing is allowing the market to decide how much parking is needed.
1: And and so the the thing is with market rate developers like they're going to park according to what they need they think they need right, to right. to fill those units uh-huh. they have to, affordable housing folks don't really have to as much okay. because there's thirty thousand you know actually and that's actually that's not well actually there are thirty thousand people that definitely need affordable housing in Sonoma County, but I you talk to any like I guarantee you when Ravina online uh, Ravina apartments comes online. Mm-hmm. There will be 3,000 people trying to get a unit there. I guarantee you at least 3,000.
0: I think we heard some figure about other affordable
1: projects... Washington um, Commons has a huge number of people. I mean, that it was already, insane. Yeah, It was insane, the number of applicants. Oh. I, I, can't, I, I, don't, I mean, it was thousands. Tens of thousands of people in Sonoma County qualify and are begging for an affordable unit. Begging. I I, I want to say it was like maybe a 1,000
0: people per unit or something like that. I mean, it was nuts. It was yeah. absolutely nuts. That's
1: how bad the issue is. I mean, so, anyways. So. Uh, uh, the other thing that we're, we're pushing is Zone for People. So, that one is uh, we want to, SB9 sort of, ended exclusionary zoning, but not really. What we really want our local jurisdictions to do is, is put a de facto into it. So all single family neighborhoods all, all get up zoned so that if you ever redevelop it, you can put plex housing there. Or if it's an infill property, you can put plex housing there. And we're not talking about a gross number of units. We're talking six to 10 units or something along that line because you see that in a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of older neighborhoods actually used to have that style of it. Like, you go to, the Jen always likes talking about this, my boss. If you go to the McDonald neighborhood, which is pretty much, I think, the oldest neighborhood or one of the oldest neighborhoods in Santa Rosa. In Santa Rosa the historic neighborhood, just so yeah, people, yeah, okay. There's a lot of diversity in that, that neighborhood. There's multi-family apartment units, there's right. condominiums, there's single-family homes, there's mansions. You got a little bit of everything. Everyone always assumes it's just this, you know, big wealthy affluent right. area, and it, it kind of is. But there's also a lot of multifamily units over there. I mean, I live in the J C neighborhood, and it's very much the same thing. Right? There's there's plex housing. There's there's a little bit of everything, and so we used to do it that way. And then somewhere along the line, we're like, no, we hate this. We want to just do single family subdivision, you know, subdivisions and and just detached homes and and that's the american dream and this is how it should be and i don't know what happened but we went we went down the wrong path so we're zoning for the people we want to allow plex housing in every single zoning area of of a jurisdiction and that one we genuinely think people can accomplish and and that one we're pushing really really hard on uh, because it's it's really just the the absolutely uh most important and, and quite frankly easy thing that we could do Right. Um, And so we're we're going to be pressing that that, uh, lever as much as we can. And uh, and then one of the other ones that uh, we're really trying to um, uh, really push. Well, well, there's the bond measure, but I'm trying to figure out which one of my uh, I did do that one. I'm trying to make sure I didn't miss them all. I think I got them all. Uh, So, yeah, the the last one, uh, the really big one is the housing bond measure that's coming forward in November 2024. We need everyone to vote yes because this is going to bring, at a $10 billion, at a 10 billion bond, uh, it will bring uh, a little over $400 million to Sonoma County as a whole. Uh, it's more complex than that in terms of how it's allocated and everything. Santa Rosa will get a direct allocation, so they'll get funding. So actually, let me start from the beginning. So BAFA, the Barrier Housing Finance Authority, is a new entity that the state brought into uh, existence very recently. And it is designed to be much like our red housing fund here. So it's the seed funding from this bond, so BAFA is running the campaign, Mm. uh, or they're the ones that are sponsoring it. BAHA, the the Bay Area Housing for All campaign, is the one that's running it. So essentially what is going to happen is roughly 30% of the funding raised from this this bond for every jurisdiction will be dedicated for specifically production. And then I think it's like 15 or 20%, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, are going to be dedicated for preservation and like roughly 5% for protection. So tenant rights, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be 20% for every uh, jurisdiction that'll be dedicated or every entity that's allocated funding. Uh, So the county will get direct allocation. That'll be split among the other jurisdictions. Santa Rosa gets a direct allocation. I'll get to more of that in a second. But uh, 20% will be flexible funding. So if you want to put it in production, put it in production. You want to put it in preservation, put it in preservation. But then 20% of the the funds that are raised through this bond uh, will actually go back to BAFA as seed funding. And the idea behind that is we create something that's similar, like I said, to our Red Housing Fund, where it's a revolving loan. So we send the money out. And I think it's for like a stupidly low interest rate. Uh, you pay back that loan and then it just keeps it going back and forth, back and forth. And the idea is hopefully, you know, we'll never have to come back to the voters again to ask for more money for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. We'll just keep on, you know, regenerating it. And so it's a really great idea. And I think it's going to be successful. We just need people to say yes when it comes to the ballot. And I, I will note uh, there are some concerns about the county overseeing things. They're, we're working on that. The the county uh, will have a role in this uh, in terms of of you know overseeing some of the funds. But there's an expenditure plan that goes for every jurisdiction and determines how you use the funds. Uh, and then that has to be approved by BAFA. And so it, it, Generation Housing is on top of it. We're working with a lot of regional mm-hmm. partners. We're kind of spearheading this effort here in the North Bay and. We're going to make sure everyone gets their fair share. Every jurisdiction gets every single cent they're owed so that we can get us back on track. And this, again, just please, for the love of God, vote yes, because there's no other way to raise this amount of money. Okay. And it might be a $20 billion bond as well. I, we'll, we'll know come January what will end up being either 10 or $20. But uh, we're out of options. There's no other way to raise this money. A sales tax will not work. Uh, it's it's not going to generate enough, uh, even on a local level. And uh, there's other ways to go about it, but we've exhausted everything. Uh-huh. We have no other options short of bringing back the Redevelopment Fund, which funded a lot of affordable housing for years in the state of California, but was was did the state
0: of California just take
1: that? They ended it, and I think Jerry Brown ended it, and I think in 2011 or 2012, um, because unlike this process, which will be much more, you know, structured, there'll be a lot more uh, transparency. You can literally see where every dollar is spent. Uh, It'll be a completely open public process. It was less so with the redevelopment fund. And there was issue. Well, essentially, people took advantage. And right. I think one example I remember reading was someone like used redevelopment funds for like a, a golf course. And so people took advantage of it. And there was other concerns, too, because it was pulling money away from schools and it just wasn't working, and so I'm pretty sure I'll be six feet under before a redevelopment fund ever comes back. So sure. this is our last option. If people vote no on this, there's no funding coming for affordable housing like outside of existing systems that we draw upon, which is not working and developing nearly at the rate that we need it to to accommodate the, the desperate and just massive need that exists, not in Sonoma County alone, across the state, across the country we are struggling. So and what's the specific bond bond measure? What what is it again? So uh, it is if you go to Bay Area for Okay, that's where you can read more about it. Also if you go to we we have a little FAQ that I actually put together. Uh, and it's it pretty much covers most of like the commonly asked questions. And anything that it doesn't answer, I encourage people to reach out. Like email me directly, you know, uh, my email's on there on our website and feel free to reach out and ask questions.
0: That, that may be a good podcast in itself to have as it gets closer. 100%. Uh, Once the
1: language comes out, yeah. we should definitely circle back and have that conversation because okay. this is going to be transformative. Right. Okay. A Santa Rosa alone at a $10 billion bond will get, I think, $122, $23 million. Wow. That's okay. a lot of money for affordable housing. Right. Right. and we don't have to go through the tax credit system which mm-hmm. often can balloon cost unfortunately so it's great right it's
2: really really great on on that topic uh, about ballooning uh, costs can you go through I mean those are all phenomenal ways to help make the help get more housing but can you backtrack a little bit and talk about all the challenges that developers can uh, and housing providers currently face in order to create new affordable housing or just housing in general, whether that's uh, impact fees or um, Anything that that, you know, there's a whole list of of challenges that they're facing right now.
1: Yeah, so the good news is there's a lot of protections for affordable housing at the state level. Uh, The Housing Accountability Act and a, a slew of other laws that made certain of that because this is the highest and greatest need. And we can't have, you know, any more of the the kind of crazy shenanigans that have been happening over the past several decades that have slowed the the development of, of these types of uh, units. And so uh, really at the end of the day is is certainty is a number one priority for folks and, and the reduction of impact fees is another one. I mean, most projects impact fees can account for a million dollars worth of the project depending on the scale and the mm-hmm. size. I mean, it's a lot of money. Right. Uh, and a million dollars is, a huge amount of money and i can account for a sizable portion of their overall pro forma so i don't know the exact percentage and obviously it varies depending on the scale of size but uh it's it's a big issue and then uh, really yeah going back to the certainty issue like if if folks aren't certain about the process if they don't think they can get it done if they think there's gonna be a lot of delays like with the sp35 you know which a lot of people are probably familiar with it's a, a a bill that you know streamlines housing when jurisdictions aren't compliant with their housing element, and the housing element is uh, essentially the guiding planning document that the state is now holding jurisdictions accountable for. So every policy program in there that you put in there, you have to you have to respond to, you have to act upon, and you have to respond to your allocation of of housing that the state's handed down. And so, uh, so with those documents and everything, there, yeah, like I said, there's there's accountability, and and they're trying to. Um, just make certain that we're, we're accomplishing our benchmarks. But, uh, oh God, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, anyways, uh, one of the, oh yeah, so with the like design review and all of that. So a lot of laws, like with SB 35, there is a, a tribal review process that previously didn't have any sort of guardrails on it. So it could be dragged out for a really long time. Obviously, we want to give our, our tribal organizations as you know, a good amount of time to make sure we are not disturbing any sacred, you know, objects or anything that's relevant to their past. Like, 100% want to respect that. Right. But that should, for most projects, be something you can accomplish. An assessment should be accomplished in six months. Mm -hmm. So we need to set, you know, kind of guardrails on that so it's not drawn out forever and ever and ever because uh, that's also problematic. Like, we we have to keep moving affordable housing forward. But we want to, again, respect them, give them the opportunity to, to analyze the site and ensure it's, it's you know, all okay. And, and here, obviously in Sonoma County, we have a lot of those sites. And so we, How has the Native American community responded to that? Have they been... I don't know their direct response to shorten the timeline. Okay. All I know is they just want the opportunity... To, to actually assess, you know, these parcels. Uh-huh. And, and so I don't know. I, I haven't actually had a direct conversation with bound about the specifics of it. I mostly rely on that subject matter at the state level and my, my colleagues, friends, and people that are working in that that sphere and focusing on that issue sure. specifically. Sure. But that being said, it, it is one of the things we're addressing on SB 35 front. And then, you know, SB 330, which is another law that I don't need to go into the whole, you know, thick of it, but uh, it's a law designed to, to A, expedite the, the review process, so you can only have five meetings max before you have to say yay or nay on a project. Uh, also, it locks in some objective design standards, so you can't change the objective design standards after the fact. Whatever was in place when the application was submitted and deemed compliant, that's what you move forward with. So anyways, that's all to say that's some of the things that are helping affordable housing. Uh, land cost is a huge issue. There's a reason why you don't see a lot of uh, affordable housing projects going up in Sonoma, Sebastopol, and some of these other jurisdictions the costs are insane mm-hmm. uh and and so anytime that a city has any excess public property that they can offload uh for free uh is is a huge opportunity and santa rosa is doing that they're using the surplus lands act which is this great little bill that allows you know public entities to uh you know offload you know their properties for very low amount of money And in fact santa rosa I thinks giving one property away for like a dollar Mm-hmm. and and just allowing them build affordable housing because that's the greatest and highest need and at the right. end it's an investment because if you put more people there in their downtown core areas <laughs> they'll visit the businesses which circulates the dollars in the community and it's just better for everyone
0: R- right yeah so, that's a, that's a message that i think every community needs to hear right now is that yeah. uh, uh, more people centralized downtown will just increase increase business down there so uh yeah. and really
1: quick like the affordable housing like Financing thing is really super complicated. I, we cannot possibly dive into all the intricacies of that But a lot of things need to change at the federal level uh-huh. uh, Are you and, talking about the
0: tax credits and things like that? Yeah, yeah I a mean, lot
1: of things need to change and they're just not because I mean our, our Congress wasn't even functioning the house wasn't even functioning for what weeks recently mm-hmm. and, and so if we can't even conduct normal business We'll never be able to address these issues. Right. And and it's really unfortunate, but these are the realities that we we operate in. And so it's just it's it is what it is and you do your best. Well I don't
2: think it's it's as common knowledge that uh, a lot of these affordable housing projects they don't even get the funding that's, for yeah, it that's exactly. until it's fully entitled. So, yep. I mean, think about the, the cost that someone has to put up front just to get it to the point where they can yes. get the funding to complete the project. Mm-hmm. So if you look at uh, local jurisdictions besides Petaluma that um, haven't waived those impact fees, I mean, there, there's a huge amount of uh, investment that uh, someone or a developer has to put in place uh, mm-hmm. just to get the process started. And, and that alone limits the amount of potential we can have uh, for future development of affordable I, housing.
1: Well, I will say this much cuz some jurisdictions are either doing this or exploring doing this very soon is deferred payments on the impact fees cuz that's only paid I believe after construction is is complete. And so they're doing deferred payments, so you pay over, you know, a set number of years uh, it, in block amounts, which actually makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. That makes it a little bit easier. I mean, we'd still like to see them obviously just drop them all together, but Take Sebastopol, for example, which is in pretty dire financial straits right now. It's not super good over there. Uh, they did just hire Don Schwartz, the assistant city manager, former assistant city manager at Warner Park, and a real savant when it comes to, to budget management. So I'm pretty oh, confident Sebastopol will be okay. But uh, it's still a pretty bad situation. So we they're an example of maybe where they probably won't drop impact fees. but uh, And I can't remember if they do deferred impact fee payments or not but if they do great if they don't they should definitely do that and that, that would still at least you know help a little bit uh, with making it a, these projects more feasible and, and able to get off the ground sure
0: I have so many questions. I'm trying to like, which which rabbit hole to go down? There's uh, a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, talking about Sebastopol, like it's a little bit disappointing. Uh, we we uh, had uh, 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 one of their planners on a podcast a couple weeks ago. And I think they John did. John Jay? Uh, Paul Fritz. Uh, Paul Fritz. Oh, oh, yeah. Paul Fritz. Love him. Yeah, great guy. Great, yeah. awesome guy. Uh, so um, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was like 220 units or something like that like, Sebastopol identified maybe 220, 240 uh, no units, units that needed to be built over the next, you know, eight-year mm-hmm. cycle that way. That's the arena, yeah. Yeah, and, and that just seemed, like, so disappointing. And that's where I I, I kind of went down, like, okay, well, how, you know, it's the city that identifies these lots that can be built that way. That, it just seems like that's a really – in order for, like – is that going to it's not going to solve our housing issue because like like 220 units built over the next 8 years is is like just a small fraction of what's needed that it's way. It's the minimum. Yeah, I, I mean like the the very minimum. That's what every municipality seems like they're trying to do some are better than others, but 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 like potentially could the state ever ever come in and start identifying properties i mean i i guess that's a, to, to me that seems like that's the bottleneck if you have like you know, local municipalities that are identifying okay here's a project here's a project here's a project but we really don't want housing you know like like so they're just like naming as, as, as few projects as possible to somewhat look like they're they, they have good intentions that way but but really it just seems like every community other than runner park is like no let's 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 try to like you know, you know, I'd say Pet- Petaluma is different. Petaluma's, I'd say their leadership uh, has definitely changed that way. But it seems like a lot of communities are like just trying to, okay, how can we put in as little housing as possible to, to, to appease the state? But we really don't want to do that. Do you p- potentially see any other mechanism like the state coming down and saying, okay, well, we're going to even start identifying properties our own or, or, or anything that way? Because I just don't, I don't know if this yeah. is going to solve the problem that way.
1: Well, because there's some people like in Petaluma, for example, and Spass, a lot of the smaller communities they just want to do ADUs.
0: Uh-huh. ADUs
1: right. are not the answer. They are one tool in the tool bag, and certainly we should be supporting them. And what Napa, actually, they're not Napa Sonoma ADU anymore because now uh, they're going to, I just found out recently, Solano, and they're also going to oh, be cool. moving into Marin and providing work uh, or support there right. as well. But if you haven't heard of them, uh, I think their website is still ADU.org. Great organization. Great resource. Yes. A huge, amazing resource. And ADUs are important, but it's one type of housing. You know, right? It's, it's not addressing all the needs. And the problem is if everyone just drops in ADUs, then someone like myself who wants to buy a single family home is confronted with an even harder time trying to actually secure a place because it increases the value. Yes. And even if I put a renter in there, it might not be enough.
0: Right, right, and with SB nine not working either, like so, like yeah, I yeah. SB
1: nine was a whopping failure. Yeah, We're so trying to so, fix
0: that. So yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean,
1: um, yeah, and so it's 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 uh, it's not going to work. And I've had conversations with local leaders about that. Like, yeah, it, it is a, a big part of it, uh, but it's it's you know just that one one kind of third of like kind of the broader you know uh, right. I think things that we need to bring to bear in order to really effectively and robustly respond to this issue. And so. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and so we're seeing a lot of this. Uh, it's pretty widespread. A lot of people just want to do ADUs, it's it's not gonna work at the end of the day. If we really want to stand on the pillars that we stand on in Sonoma County, we got to go vertical, right? 100% full stop. That is the solution. If we keep going out, which no one wants to do, I don't even want to do. Right. I love our urban growth boundaries, I think it's brilliant that we put those into play. Like, though, that is one of the single most best things that Sonoma County has ever done, because it's forcing us to start thinking differently rather than continue to do what Californians and well, really the United States loves doing and sprawling, which right. again, infrastructure costs, we can not support it. That's why PG&E is once again in January, they just won this recently, we're getting a 13% increase on our utility rates come January. They were advocating for 26. Wow. And I gotta hand it to their lobbyists, they are really good at their job. Because 13% increase, and and one of the things that are making the rent report that I discussed earlier that kept coming up, people were struggling to pay their utility bills because they're just trying to keep a roof over their head. Right. And so if they're raising the rates again, it only exacerbates the issue. But the reason why they're raising the rates, and I'm not trying to defend PG&E because quite frankly, I don't think anyone's too keen on them these days, but the reality is to maintain infrastructure... They they gotta maintain you know a flow of money into their coffers because the investors if they don't invest in the company the company goes there's no alternative that currently exists that I've heard of personally and so we're trying to figure this all out but the reality is things are just gonna get worse if we keep building out more utility lines adding to the the burden of what they need to maintain right and so we've got to build up if we build up it'll be less of an issue if PGA and and all our jurisdictions have to maintain utility lines, you know, uh, phone lines, etc., out to rural areas for maybe, what, a thousand people, we are shooting ourselves in the foot with our own gun in our hand. We're just, I exactly. mean, that's, just, that's it, just how it is. It is.
0: On that note, has PGE been supportive? Of, it, would, it would seem like they would no be idea. a great fit for Generation Housing and supporting their, their cause. I have no idea.
1: No, no, I don't think we've ever even approached them again. PGE is not. Kind of a,
0: yeah, a hot topic, difficult. Yeah. But actually, just and, in terms of like providing service to more people in a, in a higher density area would seem to benefit their business model, right? You'd, you'd <laughs> like, think, but as so, far as
1: I know, we've never been approached or approached them uh, okay. just because they're just not really... Yes, I get it. Yeah, people aren't super, super sure. thrilled with pg e after everything we've we've been through, and, and rightfully so, because it's it's been pretty god-awful, and obviously people have lost their lives, and it's, it's been horrible. Right, right. So, but yeah, you know, these are the things we have to think about, and so it's always funny when I see resistance to, to building taller buildings and people are like, quality of life concerns. Right. I have even mean, had a friend who should not be saying this suggest that a two-story ADU in, you know, the Luther Burbank Gardens area in Santa Rosa is a quality of life concern because then people can see into someone's backyard.
0: We From
1: this see- person's deck who lives in that area, I can see into their neighbor's backyard. Uh-huh. So to make that uh, that like assertion, it's just crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> also,
0: you're, t- you're, you're Paul Fritz all over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It strikes it strikes at a
1: fundamental issue, it, it totally and does. it's our lack of like neighborhood connectivity. Like you know, if you've ever read the report after the Japanese earthquake, uh, that you know obviously resulted in a nuclear meltdown, the number one thing that really helped so neighborhoods that had a lot of cohesion fared way better than neighborhoods that didn't. And there's some mm-hmm. really cool reports about mm-hmm. that. And that's one of our core issues here in America. We we have none of that. Mm-hmm. Like the sense of community is just really, really, truly bad. I, I If you traveled abroad, you'd understand kind of what I'm talking about because if you go to other parts of the world, there's a lot more connectivity in individual neighborhoods and, 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 you know, individual housing projects. Like people know each other. They know each other well. They know the skeletons in the closet. Everyone knows one another's like history and we don't have that. And if we really are concerned about quality of life, get to know your neighbors, build trust with them. You know, that's really, I think, how we move forward and ensure that when they do put taller things next to us, we know we can trust them. And I mean, I know it's not going to be perfect every single time, but that's a pretty strong start if we want to address this, you know, on a really, again, robust manner and so I, I don't subscribe to that that whole quality of life thing is is ridiculous right um because I know people have children I I get that I'm not a family member myself but I totally understand where they're coming from but we got to build trust that's that's just where it starts and ends right
0: right uh you know, we we talked about this. Uh, actually, I asked you this question before the podcast. We decided we'd save it for, in terms of like feasibility of of, of, oh, yeah. of projects. Uh, like, you know, let's talk about that. Um, what do you see? Like, you know, in putting terms of deed restrictions on like a new housing project versus make us making a certain portion, uh, you know, market rate, and then a certain portion um, affordable. What do you see as like the most? What do you see working out there? Like, can you can can Give us your opinion on like what are feasible models that way.
1: I mean, I can't necessarily speak to the feasibility, but I, I can tell you this much. Again, it's a mixed bag approach. We need a bit of everything. Yeah, diversity yeah. is, is our friend. Mm-hmm. Having uh, diversity on all levels, uh, both, you know, in terms of, of ethnicity and, and housing typology, you know, it, it always results in much better things for everyone. But that being said, Deed-restricted affordable housing across the, the income limit, you know, spectrum, absolutely necessary. We need a broad diversity of units, uh, especially for, you know, folks that are uh, between, like, what we found, 50% to 80% AMI. They're really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. And then also we need more middle-income housing, which is 80 to 120% AMI, which is, you know, a lot of your average folks like, like me and, you know, you guys and all that. So, um That's really important. One of the things I've been pushing, uh, Sebastopol actually has a project that has this in place. Uh, It's the Huntley Apartments. So they're, or Huntley, well, they're condominiums for sale. Uh It's a smaller project. They're, I think about 600 square feet. Uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they've been built yet, but uh, they have a one year home ownership requirement built in their deed. So the people that own that property cannot rent it uh, and they have to live on site at that property for one year. And then after that, they can sell it, rent it, do whatever they want. Now, personally, because uh, this is baked into SB nine, mm-hmm. I'd like to see a three year, uh, like home ownership requirement, mm-hmm. because then it makes sure that you know we're curbing speculation and, and allowing an opportunity for families, not corporations, to, to buy a home and maybe make it a starter home. And maybe right. after three years, they like, "We've saved up enough money; we're ready to go to a single family detached home." If that's what they want, mm-hmm. or or just give them an opportunity to have a starting point. And so I think it's super important that we put that in place because that way you're not putting the deed restriction of affordability on it. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's just saying, you know, this has to go to a, 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 like a non-corporate entity and for someone that's going to live on site. Mm-hmm. And that's a major part of the solution. And I really want to push that. And I mean, I'm fine if it's two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, one year is OK, but two years would probably be preferable. Because one year flies by real, pa- real fast. So right, right. again, that's another opportunity, and it's something we should really, I think, aggressively explore in, in future developments as part of like the requirement for for homeownership. Because uh, for sale condominiums in Sonoma County are few and far between. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they're often, as someone who has searched, in a pretty bad state of, of repair and require a lot of work. And while I'm fully incapable to to actually complete that work, mm-hmm. I ain't got the money.
0: Right. So, <laughs> yep. you know, like, yep. yeah, yeah, no, I mean, condominiums, uh, we, we really need to focus on building those here. Uh, you know, I've heard this from like, uh, uh, I don't know if we, we addressed that before the podcast, but from like, we're starting to hear more and more of these comments from an older generation that, hey, I live in this four bedroom, five bedroom home by myself. Uh, I would like to downsize, I'd mm-hmm. like to live in a condo because it's, you know, less upkeep. There's no condos around, so so like they or close to downtown, or close to downtown, right? And so they can't have that lifestyle they want. So what Mm -hmm. happens is is they stay in that home. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have some condos where that they can transition out of? And then and then the younger couple that's building wealth through that that bought that condo 4 or 5 years ago could maybe transition to that single family home right and so we can yeah. free up some of that housing stock that way but as of right now and i and i think people are starting to realize that i hope i hope they are that way so
1: yeah so uh i think it's looking at uh so 47% so this is our 2022 state of housing report but 47% of rental units are multifamily homes it looks like uh owner occupied 5 to 9 units oh my god it represents maybe 2% of our total housing stock. That That's probably being generous, actually. Really? I, I Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, and so if we don't create more of that housing stock, how are families in this current market? And, and you know, how are they supposed to, to make a living here? Why would you even choose to have kids? I mean, you know, then you're just going to be broke. Right. Uh, or that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, I mean, yeah, and if you look at the... Uh, Kind of tangential, but uh, the city of Sonoma actually, since 2000, I believe, had had another six percent increase in those that are 55 years of age or older. Uh And so they recently closed one of their schools, and and might have to close another one uh, if they continue on the trajectory that they're they're currently on. Right. And but no one can build there. Yeah. Because how you gonna afford the land? How you gonna afford everything else? Right. I mean, it's it's just nuts.
0: It is. It is. And and still just getting the word out there. How do you how do you uh, educate the public, which the tides are turning? I definitely think uh, we've seen some studies recently that the general public definitely wants more housing. But there's still always, I think, a group that that is 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 uneducated in the the need for housing. How 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 does Generation Housing address that or how do we?
1: You know, it's about, I, I think, coming at it with a sense of empathy, empathy for the people that are struggling. And understanding the, the true nature, the, the scale of this issue, and and seeing like where they're living, how they're living, the struggles that they face. That's why we we do these reports. We're trying to show you like this is not fake information, this is not random data we're pulling from somewhere, this is like these are legitimate sources or survey-driven reports that we are generating. And the idea is to to demonstrate just how bad things are so that you can understand that we need to respond and that involves changing the existing paradigm departing from business as usual and embracing transformative change and i know change is hard hell i'm terrible with change like you can ask my girlfriend you can ask my friend i am not good with change but i understand that if we don't change we fail and and then generally generation housing we like to strike a more optimistic tone but I, you know, sometimes I, I just like to be blunt with people like we need to act. And, and that involves really changing and, and we're taking a hard look at our existing zoning mm-hmm. and our, our policies that are in place and thinking about what are we really wanting for the future? Not for folks that will be here for the next 10, 15 years. Right. No offense. Right. But for the generations that follow. Right. And what Petaluma is doing now, which there are some really great policies in place and and, you know, I tip my hat to, to the staff and the, the leadership. They've been doing a wonderful job. And and so have many other representatives and, and staff members in Sonoma County. But we've got to be even more aggressive uh-huh. uh, because it's it's either that or uh, we face a, an actual sustainability crisis because if we're just a community of elderly folks, right. who supports us? Right. Who runs our, our, our marketplaces? I, I mean, where are these people going to come from? Ukiah? mm mm-hmm. Lake County? Is that where we're going to push them off to? Right. Yeah, I'm I'm I i i do not want to move there. <laughs> right. right. I, I used to live out in Ukiah. Eh, I'm I'm good.
0: Right. Right. So, no, no, kind of on that note, like um, your collaboration. Obviously, you're you're collaborating with local governments. Um, do you work with other nonprofits or developers Absolutely. or or uh, what about like youth advocacy? I know that's something that we talk about here. Do you guys? I mean, that just seems like. Because just like you said, like this is really for, fifteen years later from now, right? Like, like yeah, like future generations. It just seems so hard. Like, if if I was a teenager in junior high and someone said, "Hey, you know what? You should think about city planning," I'd be like, right over my head. Like, right, like I. But why? Yeah, but so, but it just seems like, um, you know, one thing I would say with our local government here is they're kind of jumping up and down, like asking for more like youth engagement, like help us plan the city of the future. Do you have any like youth programs or have you partnered with any schools or or yeah. anything like that, like that way?
1: Well, first and foremost, we had a wonderful board member that sadly had to depart from our organization and left the area. Uh, even though his family's here, his friends are here, he realized it, he just could not continue living here, and so he moved. And uh, that was really unfortunate and sad. And we talked about it at our housing summit. And then we actually, the gentleman that works directly under me, uh, Omar Lopez, uh, he is a or was, he's how full-time employees are program associate and he supports me on a lot of things and does great work and uh, he started though as a youth promotor, which is a program through latino service providers and they're this great little organization that packs uh, well they throw a big punch and they've been doing really great work in youth empowerment on the latino side and so they take a bunch of you know young you know folks from that community and and help place them with organizations and help them build the skill sets to succeed and thrive in this community and hopefully stay. And so we we're lucky to get Omar and, and then, you know, he did such wonderful work, we ended up hiring him full-time. And so that has been amazing and we still work with them quite a bit. Uh, so we have them support us, uh, we ask them to support us at, at events, we ask them to, you know, come out every now and then to, to speak up. We uh, have in the past, not recently, because we've been so busy, we haven't passed on to schools and we talked with, you know, the, the students there and tried to get people on board. We've gone to the SRJC campus and tabled there before to kind of, you know, see. If we get How was that engaged. response? Uh, I haven't personally done myself from one I've been told actually pretty good for oh, the good. SRJC. Okay. Uh, the students, it's again, it's hard, you know, right. educating students on why this is important. But, you know, we always couch it as do you like Sonoma County? Do you want to stay in Sonoma County? Do you see a life right. here in Sonoma County? I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm afraid I'm gonna to have to live with my parents forever, and that's a scary thing. Mm. I mean, I love my mom, but I don't think I want to live with her for you know, for years and years after college. Uh, that would that would be interesting. Right. And so it's you know, and I've heard this from multiple council members who have children living with them. There are several council members that have like college age yes. or past college age children living with them. Because they can't afford to live on their own right. in Sonoma County, so they're trying to save up their money so maybe they can actually make a life for themselves. So uh, this is a common theme in Sonoma County. You ask anyone, and this is yeah, a reoccurring issue. And so a lot of intergenerational living is is kind of popping up everywhere. It's it's not just specific to any ethnicity now. You see it across the across the spectrum uh, because it's it's now a matter of, of necessity. Uh, and really, it's actually not... It's actually not a bad way to live, honestly, Uh, especially like I know a lot of people have ADUs in their backyards and maybe their parents, like Mm -hmm. their older parents will live in the ADU and the family with kids lives in the front house. So there's separation, but you're also still co-located and able to financially like, you know, coexist and... And live together and so that's a great model honestly and that's where adus are wonderful yep because it allows people to stay together right and and yeah yeah you can't put a price on that right know? right but the degree of separation makes a difference <laughs> no, yep uh that's that's so true but yeah so we're working a lot with with youth where we can and, and we're always trying to empower them as best we can and anytime we can get them to come out and speak loudly and voice their their you know opinions about this oh god it's amazing it's wonderful and some of their stories are really hard to hear. I mean, I remember I went to the state legislator last year for Yimby Lobby La- uh, Day. Uh-huh. And the three Humboldt students that joined me, uh, who I was leading uh, when we went to Assemblymember Wood's office and uh, Senator McGuire's office. I mean, all three of them had been homeless at, at one point in time. And hearing their stories, I, I mean, it, I teared up a couple times because it, it is rough. Like what they've been through. Um, one of them uh, is, is also or was, uh, well, is uh, transgender as well. And so hearing how that person, you know, navigated their life as, as a homeless transgender person, I, I, I mean, it's, it's it is rough. Mm-hmm. It's a rough thing to hear. Like you're facing so, so many obstacles. And yet these people continue to power through. And I, I'm just const- constantly impressed uh, by these these like just the fortitude of some of these these youth, because man generations following us have uh a tough and long list of things to address and they do we're trying our best, but every generation seems to push something down to the next generation
2: right right, yeah well what do you what do you see don't mean to interrupt you what do you see as the future for um the f- future generations to get involved with this and get involved in generation housing um to help make a difference on this.
1: So I was talking with someone earlier about that today. Uh, one of my kind of dreams that I've had since I, I joined the organization, and we're looking to actually hopefully execute it soon once we get in our community engagement person on board, is is really create pods. So so it's it's like the YIMBY model, but we, we differ in the sense of uh, generation housing always takes more surgical approaches. We like to be collaborative, not confrontational. We're not out to say, gotcha, and then stick it to the staff or the city council members, because that's not really effective mm-hmm. uh, it's all about creating collaborative relationships and working together so working with nonprofits, which to your other question like we we work with nonprofits all the time legal aid mm-hmm. uh greenbelt alliance is a, a common collaborator we we sent in a letter recently uh for a widely known petaluma issue uh, and we we're on the same letter together uh, mm-hmm. you know we've worked with uh sonoma uh the sonoma collaborative out in the sonoma valley area we have a lot of regional partners that are from all various sectors of in the chambers Work a lot with the chambers, but, anyways, um, in terms of like what we're trying to, to do and uh, in building kind of a movement, is, is I would like to create pods so find leaders like yourselves in, in every city and then have those people responsible for herding the cats, so to speak. Like, so we focus on grass tops leaders, we focus on you know, doing some behind the scenes kind of discussions with staff, what have you. But then we, we count on those leaders, those people that are well-connected, integrated in the community to organize people that are saying yes to housing and get them to the meeting. Now, if we can do that, I guarantee you we can pull out a win every single time. They might come at it from the ER, you know, and they might try to, you know, pull right, this whole right, sequel thing. Right. But we will win because at the end of the day, there's a lot of protections against that kind of thing. And also, we're all trying to do the right thing. Right. And our leaders see that and they're willing to, to take on the risk a lot of times of, of, you know, potential lawsuits because they know what's right for the community. And so anyways, that's what I'm hoping to it, execute the, relatively The pod soon. is going to be rolled out here. It I'm, like hoping, great, right, I'm hoping. I'm right. hoping. Yeah. I, I, I know pretty much individuals from most of our jurisdictions that I would call upon to to, to take on this role. Uh You guys will be part of that Petaluma contingent. Uh And so I've identified people, and now it's just a matter of trying to roll this out and and really get it up and running. And it takes time and effort and a lot of coordination. I can't do all that myself because I I cover predominantly policy, and that's for the entire county. Right, right, right. And so my bandwidth can be somewhat limited. So I I need help, and and so here's hoping we get another community engagement person soon.
0: Right, right. Are are there other... Counties that have programs similar to Generation Housing that you guys kind of collaborate with on stuff like
1: this? Yeah, we really love, appreciate, and respect uh, SV at Home. They're a Silicon Valley based advocacy organization. They right. do super awesome work out there. Uh, we're also in uh, close collaboration with NPH. They're the big dogs. Uh, NPH? Yeah, so they're Northern, no, Nonprofit Housing in Northern California. Okay. They're based in San Francisco and they. They do a bulk of like the legislative work and, and are really just, it's a fabulous team. A lot of really just incredible human beings uh, that have really helped move the housing movement forward. And YIMBY, YIMBY Law, because mm-hmm. uh, there's YIMBY Action, YIMBY Law. There are a lot of YIMBY entities. We work with all of them and, and collaborate with all of them. And so, yeah, there's a lot of great partners uh, out there and, and we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And and I mean, Generation Housing is, is definitely like the foremost like Northern California. Mm-hmm. like northern Northern California and North Bay Area and to me the, there's there's no one else really uh, uh, doing specifically what we do I right. mean, legal aid is doing great work on the tenant protection fund we don't predominantly really focus on that we focus on production and preservation right But uh, we couldn't accomplish all our shared goals without you know legal, aid, legal aid being there as well and they're uh-huh. they're just a kick-ass team love them shout out to them
0: right right no that's a uh, that's great um for uh to increase engagement, how can members of the community get involved and in, in support generation housing?
1: Oh, letter writing is a huge one. Uh just people sending comments. I know people are busy and it's not always easy to come into a public meeting and and you know participate in the process. Hell you and I like we were in a meeting in Petaluma for what is it, seven and a half hours? Yeah. Like, most people can't do that. And I understand that. People have right. families, other obligations, maybe they have a disability or or, you know, there's a whole spectrum of reasons why they can't actually be in the chamber. And so if you send a letter, that's great. If you, you know, sign up to, to receive our action alerts or our housing pulse. So the housing pulse is just every housing thing that doesn't require action. And then the action alert will go out separately. And if, it, if we need, like, action on a specific issue, uh, then, you know, we'll send you that specifically and for that jurisdiction. So if you're in Petaluma, we'll send you a Petaluma-specific action alert. So, that's, that's some of the things we do. So, I encourage everyone to sign up for those on our website. It really uh, really helps, you know, keep you informed and right. keep you abreast of everything that's happening.
0: They're very informative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, informative. we do our best so. because,
1: I mean, I look at it from the outside in. Like, if I was, you know, just a citizen and I was interested in housing, this is exactly what I would need to engage because I can't look up every single calendar right. and see what's happening. I need it consolidated so i know what's happening and how i can act and engage and so yeah
0: that, that that's mm-hmm. kind of where your housing expert where i i like, it's like holy cow what how did he put this all together like 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 it's it's very important that's why that's that why you are the housing uh, policy expert right like yeah. uh, that way
2: is there uh, is there anything from your experience uh, specifically in sonoma county that uh you've learned that would be useful for other jurisdictions and counties throughout the Bay Area, California that you haven't seen addressed anywhere else, but has,
1: has mm, I guess, originated here or started here? So there, there, there might be multiple answers to that. I would say the, the one semi-unique thing that we, I feel, deal with here, I mean, everyone could say they have open space, they have agricultural lands, et cetera, but I think it's fairly safe to say Sonoma County is pretty unique and we have a lot of things here that are are important to safeguard and protect and that's again why we have urban growth boundaries. So I'd like to see, uh, you know, there's a lot of policies that we've implemented here that safeguard uh, those things specifically because those are the values and things that we all care about here. And so uh, urban growth boundaries are are becoming more and more popular. Uh, a lot of a lot of jurisdictions throughout the entire state are implementing those because they're recognizing that this sprawl is killing them. Uh, you know, if you look at their their budgets, like it, it's killing them infrastructure wise, cost right. everything. So they're like, oh wow, this is a great idea. So it's it's growing, and a lot of jurisdictions are starting to to, to put these in place. But it's a it's a voter based thing. Like the the you know the voters have to approve it. So right. that's the whole process. The good news is, at least here, it almost always is approved by a wide margin beyond what we needed. So thank God for that. Uh, I would say, I think, I I don't know if we're necessarily doing, actually, I would say this much. Red Housing Fund is incredibly unique, and, and, and there's not too many entities like that in the state. And actually, I think we've got a lot of recognition for it. The red housing fund, I discussed that earlier, is is uh, an entity that actually was born from an investment from both the county and the city of Santa Rosa, ten million dollars each, and it's just like what we're essentially doing with the the BofA housing bond. It's it's a revolving loan fund, so the loan is paid back and then it's spent back out again, and so it's helped get, I think, a, like a dozen projects that have been you know have been recipients of, of funding from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to Aviara on uh, West College, they got, I think, a couple million from from this fund, and, and that, that project's almost done, and that, well, not almost done, but I'd say it's definitely 60, 70% complete. I think Mahonia Glen, which is uh, on Sonoma Highway, uh, coincidentally, both those projects right next to Safeway, uh, don't know how that happened, but mm-hmm. uh, anyways, uh, uh, yeah, both those projects, I think, were recipients, and, and they're... They're uh, all 100% affordable housing, and I think each of them have over 100 units of affordable housing, which is a small dent. You know? Right. Uh, I, I constantly hear people that see that project on Santa Rosa Avenue, and it, uh, it's they're like, oh, my God, that's huge. Right, right. Like, that's going to solve all our affordable housing. No, that no. is... Yeah, uh, uh, but a drop in the bucket of right. what we need, but it is a big deal. Right, right. And I'm very glad to see that project going up. And it, it looks like, from what I can tell, it's nearing completion. But you never know what's going on the inside because sure. the mm-hmm. guts take a lot, a lot, a lot longer to to put into place than the exterior part. So, right. I'm not sure what the timeline is for that. But we have a lot of projects coming along, uh, coming online uh, in 2024 and 2025, like quite a few. So some positive things are happening, and it's, it's really great momentum, honestly. I'm, I'm thrilled.
0: That's great. That's great. Is there anything that you'd like to touch on regarding housing or affordable housing that we haven't addressed today?
1: Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a million things. I would say one of the things that we need to take a hard look at, though, is, is a vacant parcel tax uh-huh. or vacant homes tax. Yep. We have a lot of units in Sonoma County, and this is not going to be the case for every jurisdiction because the reality is, at least this what I've been told by planners, is the cost of running those programs can be very expensive. And so if the, the money that's coming in from, from whatever parcels that you're taxing is not sufficient enough to offset the cost of the, huh. the admin, then it's, it's not worth it. It's not feasible. Right, right. And jurisdictions are unlikely to subsidize that. It's just not generally the type of thing they subsidize. So... If you can make it pencil, like Healdsburg, I think, would be a prime candidate. Sonoma would be a prime candidate. They're the ones usually, I think, that per capita have, like, the highest ratio of, you know, Airbnbs, Mm -hmm. Picasso units, whatever, uh, county as well. Uh, They would probably benefit. And actually, in their housing elements, I think for, well, county and Sonoma uh, both have, in their housing element, a commitment to uh, explore a, a vacant home tax And and quite frankly, if they're not from here, and they have the luxury of affording a second home, right? A second home, mind you, in Sonoma County and these jurisdictions, I've got no problem taxing them two or three grand. Mm -hmm. That's drop in the bucket of what those people probably. You know, have in terms of their overall financial assets. So they don't bother me in the slightest. They're not from our community. Maybe they live here, and that's great. I'm glad you like to spend time in Sonoma County. It's a great place to live. That's why I went to my masters in DC and came back again. Right, right. But the reality is, you've got to pay your fair share, and especially if you're a a person or you know, uh, you know, group of people of you know means. I mean, you've got to pay your fair share. We can't leave a a house empty for 50 percent of the year. Right, right. We cannot afford to do that. And so that, that's an interesting thing I think is going to be discussed in, in the very near future. Uh-huh. So keep your eyes out. It uh, might be coming to your local jurisdiction, but it are, really all depends on, on the numbers at the end of the day. So. Right. And that would have to be voted on by, by the voters as well because it's a tax. So, um, you know, that's also another obstacle. And uh, there's a variety of other things we could talk about. Growth management ordinances are a big one. And, you know, there's... Also, again, like the bond measure, if if anyone takes anything away from this podcast today, it's...
0: Vote for Please,
1: God, please vote yes on that bond measure because it is... It is... uh, There's nothing else. Right. Like, this is it. Everyone talks about we need funding for affordable housing. We need funding. I hear that a thousand times a day. This is it. This is it. Put up or shut up. Vote yes. If you don't, then, well... Not entirely sure you're really in favor of affordable housing. Then I mean, right. it just begs the question. I mean, where are your priorities, and and what do you want for your community? So, uh, yeah. Yep. That would be my call to action. And
0: those are the, we do have those people out there that don't want affordable housing. Yeah. Uh, if uh, someone wants to talk to you or get in touch with you regarding affordable housing, what's what's the best way for them to, uh, to contact you?
1: All of our contact information is on our website. It's really easy to find. Uh, my email is actually callum uh, at generationhousing.org. org. That's c a l u m at generationhousing.org. org. But like I said, all of our all of our emails are and I possibly my phone number? I don't know if I put my phone number on that. I, my personal cell is, is in my email, so you can always get that and end up texting me as well or calling me. I am always happy to have a conversation and, and, you know, figure out how we can help you get engaged, activated, and, and supporting, you know, the pro-housing movement and, you know, for a stronger, bolder, better future. Absolutely. Well, thank you so great. so much. Yeah, just, that was awesome. As
0: expected, yeah. this has been a great podcast. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, fun. We'll have to have you back on here soon. Yeah, uh, probably regarding that bond measure. Uh, so, uh, if you've liked this uh, episode, please hit like and subscribe so you can see more uh, cool future content. Cal, thank you so much for for making this happen. This was so informative. Isaiah, thank you as always. Absolutely. And we'll see you guys later. See you next time. Welcome to the Live Explore Podcast. If you like what you hear please hit like and subscribe.